On this episode of your Wednesday matinee, let's take a trip down memory lane. Our very first recording of our very first podcast. So if you're listening, you might be wondering, what exactly is your Wednesday matinee? Uh, Lou, what are, you, what are we going to be talking about on this lovely little program we got here? So basically, this podcast is going to be a lot of Broadway commentary for every episode. We're going to share with you our hot takes, our opinions, and our thoughts about you know, different topics that relate to Broadway. I mean, we're, we're, we're two different people with two different backgrounds, so we'll probably have some, some differing opinions and some witty banter in there. And we promise that we're qualified to give you all of our very interesting opinions on these very important topics. Remember our first fight? It went something like this. There will be no concessions on this next one, at least on my part. None. Um, None. (laughs) The next spooky musical that we're going to talk about is one of my absolute favorites. One of Uh, my absolute least favorites. (laughs) The the Phantom of the Opera. Now, I was 12 or 13. I saw this. Um, My mother uh, was a teacher, and this was at her, her high school, a local high school production of Phantom of the Opera. I did not want to see this show. I thought, like, Phantom, like, might, might get a little freaky. I don't want to sit through an opera. Cut to two and a half hours later, I am sobbing. I loved it so much. Lou, please tell me why I'm wrong. I am just amazed and in shock that you find the story engaging without the production value. Yeah. Because to me, like, Phantom is just one gigantic spectacle of a show. Like, you go in, and you're sitting there, and there's this big old auction, and they're like, here's a creepy monkey <laughs> thing. And then you, you, like, watch this old man, like, buy a monkey box. And then, I don't know, it's just at no point do I care in that <laughs> entire musical? <laughs> I'm just like, oh, la, la, la. like if you think Young Frankenstein, the end is too And in the rest of season one, episode three, Connor continued to be wrong. Another of our best fights from season one that Connor was totally lost about was Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert. Yeah! <laughs> I'll let so you. Let's, let let's you. cut to the chase. Let's cut to the chase. Connor hates it, and I, I think it. it's brilliant. I hate it so much. And I'm going to let Lou explain why she loves it, and then I will explain why she's incorrect. For those of you that are not aware of Jesus Christ Superstar and what it is, it is a rock opera about the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. Written by I, our one true Lord and Savior, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yes, it is Andrew Lloyd Webber. Just apart from the whole live thing, I think Jesus Christ Superstar is one of his stronger works. And Connor might even disagree with me about that too. Jesus Christ Superstar is the perfect musical for the live in concert format because it is a rock opera. Casting rock stars and casting people that have 
stardom and celebrity surrounding their name makes perfect sense. I mean, if you if you didn't know, John Legend plays Jesus, Sarah Bareilles plays Mary Magdalene, Alice Cooper has a song, but in any other world that would make no sense, but in Jesus Christ Superstar, it fits and it does make sense. Point number 2, the audience. So, because it's a rock opera, because it's it's a spectacle and Jesus He's a superstar. I mean, it's in the title, so haha, <laughs> superstar. But really, he's he's a man, and in the mythology of this piece, is surrounded with the same kind of aura that rock stars and pop stars are today. That's kind of the, the concept of the show. So having the audience there and screaming and like reaching out and like touching all the people on the stage and like high-fiving people. Um, like you would at a concert, it adds to the spectacle and it makes sense in the context of the world. And not only that, but I have seen some kind of bootlegged videos of the live performance of people who were in the live studio audience. And they, they were seeing like the cameraman who would go on stage and like get their close up of whoever. Even that is brilliant and works within like the logic and the structure of the world because it's like surveillance it's like everyone is watching this person and we have a physical embodiment of a camera that is watching this person we can talk about the performances that's another thing but just as a concept it is brilliant and most people agree with me connor doesn't but this was the highest rated live tv musical of any and the most critically acclaimed as well. So Connor, take it away. And this is why I wanted you to go first, because you know what, Lou? I agree with you. I agree with all of your points. This is a perfect musical to do for TV. And the camera, and that's something I hadn't even considered before, the symbolism of, of, of the camera following him around. And yes, star casting, begrudgingly, and I do say this begrudgingly, it makes sense for this show. <sighs> and I have never, in my life, hated a production of a TV musical so much as I hated Jesus Christ Superstar. The the musical itself is bad, okay? The musical <laughs> itself has a couple of good songs. It has Gethsemane, if that's how you pronounce it, which is truly one of my favorite songs in musical theater. It has the opening number and it has uh, Superstar, the big closer 11 o'clock number. Those three songs are really good. Nothing else about the musical is. Literally nothing else. Oh, boy. Uh, the performances in this were just horrendous. Alice Cooper, why? Sarah Bareilles, Mary Magdalene has never added anything. Then we had an idea. Hey, Connor. Remember that time I thoughtfully expressed my well-founded frustrations with the Broadway establishment? Yes. Remember that same time that I lamented the lack of new original musicals on Broadway stages? Sure I do. Remember that we're in charge of our own podcast and we can decide to change things up a little bit to reflect how we're feeling about the state of the industry? Absolutely. Then why don't we start a new series that highlights brand new musical cast albums that deserve more recognition in today's musical theater landscape? I'm listening. 
What if we interviewed the writers and producers of said musicals to gain insight into their development, production, and bright futures? Well, that sounds brilliant. What's stopping us? Nothing at all. Then let's do it! Philip David Stern is a composer who has worked in just about every medium you can imagine. Television, film, concert, dance, and of course, musical theater. His work in musical theater has traveled from the stages of Off-Broadway in New York City all the way around the globe to festivals, including the world-renowned Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He also serves as the executive director of New York Stage Originals, an organization promoting new original work in the theater. His latest project, Stone Crossed, was performed by Proctor's Theater in 2019, and the original concept album was released on May 21st, 2021 by Broadway Records. Rooted in ethereal folk music and sprinkled with punk rock energy and a pinch of Disney magic, Stonecrossed is an uplifting, quote, somewhat utopian vision of the world in which asking the hard questions leads to love. Welcome to the show, Philip. Punk rock energy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. That, that leads to my, my first question. Lou had such a ethereal folk rock, punk rock energy and a pinch of Disney magic. Would you say that is a... That's mostly accurate. And and where did you sort of get your your musical influences and inspirations from as as a composer? I think each human has their own experience. And so when they hear something, they draw from their own experience of music. And that's very cool to me to hear that's kind of what you kind of gleaned from 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 it. So no, I, I'm not at all offended by any sort of, <laughs> of subjective comments about, you know your your opinion of or your not your opinion but your your thoughts on the genre because i love it it's it's great i mean my background is pretty varied from writing for big band jazz orchestra i did a little stint at the bmi jazz composers orchestra in new york city and also from film and tv i've done when i lived in canada i um wrote some uh, film and tv music for tv ontario and then I crossed over into orchestral music, writing scores for uh, string orchestra. So my, my background is pretty diverse. I, I don't know if that's a good thing, but it like for musical theater and for this piece, it um, for Stonecrossed, definitely I was um, kind of delving back into some of my progressive rock roots. And, but also, um, you know, there's a little bit of jazz in there. There's a song called That Dress. You're gonna hear <clears throat> sort of a lot of a lot of different uh, styles and sonic variations uh, that kind of reflect this, this kind of diverse kind of background. Billy Reese is an award-winning writer, composer, and singer-songwriter who recently graduated from Fordham University. In fact, when he was just a senior at Fordham, he wrote the music and lyrics to the hit off-Broadway show, A Musical About Star Wars, slated to reopen after the shutdown. One of his most recent projects, Little Black Book, was released as a concept album on April 9th, 2021, and features Jessica Vosk, Mandy Gonzalez, Natalie Weiss, and more. Boasting a high-energy score with a hard rock edge, Little Black Book turns the amps up to 11 and isn't afraid to slam its foot on the gas. Inspired by strong women from Joan Jett to Demi Lovato to Liza Minnelli, this is not a rock concert you will want to miss. Welcome to the show, Billy. Thanks so much for having me. What a great intro. 
Joan Jett, Demi Lovato, and Liza Minnelli. I want them in a revival of Mamma Mia. Yeah. That's what I One, want. One, 100%. Come on. I'm, I'm yeah. on board with that one. <laughs> totally. We've seen a lot of these cast albums and concept albums come out in the wake of the pandemic when you know people couldn't do live theater coming out of covid what do you see as the future of cast albums like this in the industry what sort of opportunities do you see for emerging writers coming out of this of this period yeah well i think what this period has sort of shown is that people are really excited about the sort of transparency in the development of musicals what it comes from is us being so hungry for new material from concept albums to you know the tiktok musicals right like, you know, the reason that the, the the Bridgerton girls are, you know, so wildly successful. I think that the best thing about what they did was like live streaming their writing sessions. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a writer do that. And um, so I hope for the future that we maintain sort of this emphasis on being transparent about the creation of shows. Because I also think there is something sort of uh, wildly elitist about just developing shows with a hundred people in a room, you know, who are just like super rich and like, you know, they're the people who get to see, you know, this show and fall in love with it first. And, you know, I think the last year has sort of, because there is so much content and so much like new, exciting, so many new, exciting voices being made, we are sort of opening the floodgates to the democratization of what the art form can be, right? And showing that it is possible for as many voices, sets of ears and audiences to, to hear these shows in development as, as you know, the, the team might want, right? Like, I'm really grateful for this opportunity because, you know, people will be able to come to the first production of Little Black Book in a year and a half, two years, already knowing the songs, you know? And in that sense, it will feel like a real rock concert to them, right? Because you don't go to a rock concert without knowing any of the songs. Like, you're there and you, like, want to sing along, you know? And for someone like me, I grew up on Long Island, so I was, like, able to sort of come see shows every now and then. But I really grew up on cast albums, you know, and I would always, you know, uh, uh, learn these shows and listen to them before I saw them. So I think that sort of element of people being able to fall in love with new material before it even hits a stage is just so, so special. And it's it's new, but it's also not new because cast albums have been around, you know, for for a long long time. And right. Well, and look, I mean, with the concept album thing, I mean, you know, the Jesus Christ Superstar concept album sold millions of copies. Yeah. Like that was right. like a like truly successful album before it was anything else. You know, I, I think producers and theater makers are going to be a little more creative in the future about how shows get to Broadway, um, that there is not just one track to, to get there. Um, and that, you know, we should really be listening to uh, you know, the, the people in power, the money people should be listening to what young people and what, you know, just normal audience members are listening to and loving. I couldn't agree more. And wait, remember that time we got the inside scoop from Tony Award-winning producer of Ride the Cyclone, Kevin McCollum, about potential forthcoming projects? Would you rather produce the movie musical version of Avenue Q or Something Rotten? I'm working on both, so I can't really choose one over the- I Ooh. would rather have a new question. <laughs> oh yeah, and he gave your Wednesday matinee its biggest endorsement yet. Thanks for your interest and, and, and thank you for making sure theater matters uh, by doing this podcast. That was pretty cool. 
and even cooler, throughout that first season, our podcast and our friendship blossomed. I even let Connor talk about the woman, the myth, the legend, Patty Lapone, in our first ever performer profile. This has been in the works for longer, longer than you know. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think we about... were in about October <laughs> when Connor said, when it's my birthday, if we're still doing this, we're doing a Patty Lapone profile. And I was like, okay. And lo and behold, so, we are really still we doing are. this. Fantastic. Anyway. Then we were off with season two, where we decided to get a little, we're going to switch it up a little bit, you know? We are. You know, it's it's going to be the same your Wednesday matinee that, that you're used to. It's going to be us bantering. It's going to be me making great jokes and great points and Lou making also great jokes and sometimes bad points. Because contrary to popular belief, I'm often the correct one on this podcast. No. <laughs> Every, every single person I have talked to has said I yeah, have it, the correct takes more. If you agree, <laughs> if you agree with me more than the time that you agree with Lou, matineewicb.org, please let me know. I, I please. Yeah. It would um, truly be a shock. My own mother tells me that I'm wrong more than you are. My own Good. mother. As she should. Like I said, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Going to get a little nicher. Going to get a little uh, weirder sometimes. We're just going to experiment with new things. And it went something like this. Welcome to your Wednesday matinee, the musical theater podcast where we deconstruct the era of enhanced and movie marketing strategy so you don't have to. Where we eulogize Conrad Birdie so you don't have to. Where we write four single spaced pages about the structural intricacies of Evita so you don't have to. Where we drive four hours round trip to see Tick Tick Boom and its limited theatrical release so you don't have to. Where we analyze the quasi-fictional story of Diana Spencer's life so you don't have to. Seriously, please don't. Where we discuss the grammatical implications of Fiorello's exclamation point so you don't have to. It'll be a romp. We did funny accents. Pulitzer may own the world, but he don't own us. Pulitzer may crack the whip, but he won't whip us. But you know what Pulitzer does own? The Pulitzer Prize for Drama. And you know what Pulitzer does crack the whip of? The Pulitzer Prize for Drama Selection Committee. Welcome to your Wednesday matinee. And in maybe my favorite episode of all time, we got existential. Among thought-provoking discussions about the nature of social media and celebrity culture, our natural instinct for investigative journalism emerged. Our... Lil Boots for Lil Cats theater. <laughs> you know when cats wear, wear shoes? Is that theater? Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, is sort of is like theater. the Met Gala for me, honestly. <laughs> I think they're connected. Oh my gosh. Connor, Lil Boots for Lil Cats is absolutely theater. <laughs> Because, you know, because you know what, you know what, though, because like, as a, like, why, why are you as a little cat wearing little boots? Exactly. You know? <laughs> and it's, and it's because it is because some <laughs> God forsaken homo sapien was like, you know what this cat needs? You know, no, not even do you know what this cat needs? Do you know what this little cat needs? Some little boots. Lil boots. 
<laughs> and I'm going to put on these little boots on my little cat. And I'm going to, I'm going to make them walk around in front of me, parading around in these little boots. And they're going to be exactly, so Like confused. the boots are like 10% of the cat's body weight. Like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Cause it's just like, it is, it is a part, it is a part from reality, you know, to yeah, put little boots 100%. on a little cat. It's like another, it's like, and then you, you might, you might, you might say to me, oh, but Lou, that's just a costume. Does, does one costume a theater make? Uh, and, uh, and to that, and to that, I would say when it is a cat, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> And that serious investigative journalism led to an illuminating discovery. We like games. And our next series, Matinee Summer Games, was born. We ranked Tony's opening numbers, we played Kiss Mary Kill, we asked who would win in a fight, we took silly quizzes, we even used our romantic partners for content. This is William Porter DeVerry, also known as Will. Am I allowed to talk now? Also known as my boyfriend. Hi. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been in like the back of the room with like blindfolded and with like, you know, like lit I was not allowed to speak. I was brought to this secure location where mm -hmm. your Wednesday matinee is recorded. Mm -hmm. I, this yeah. is, and I'm, I don't know what's happening. I haven't seen my family in months. Mm. I please help. And Connor, how about your person you have invited to the podcast today? Uh, I did not kidnap her and hold her against her will. She came of her own volition. This is Emily Maria Miracle, also known as M, also known as my girlfriend. Hi, I'm too exhausted for a bit, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and a few ill-conceived metaphors later, the Broadway is like... See, that's a simile. The Broadway is a door. <laughs> okay. And the Broadway is a door with with many doors inside that door. Mm -hmm. We close the curtain on your Wednesday matinee. But wait, not yet. We're back for our final episode in one week with a one night only can't miss theatrical event. We might get a little nostalgic, but not much more nostalgic than this. Thank you for listening. That was your Wednesday matinee.